Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to yet another episode of Matifile. In this episode, we take a quick look at the socioeconomic state of Yemen. And if you haven't already... I would urge you to give the previous episode that looks at the history of Yemen a listen. A lot. In fact, most of this podcast is predicated on the humanitarian crisis that is explained in that episode, as any economic and social prospects in the country of Yemen are hinged on the political scenarios and how the crisis plays out. Before we dive in to look at the geographic and economic profile of Yemen, just a few pieces of news that I thought might be worth turning your attention to. The one I really could not avoid mentioning this week is that the coronavirus vaccine being developed by the University of Oxford is showing promising signs in eliciting an immune response. This means that the vaccine is priming your immune system and producing white blood cells to combat the virus should the virus infect your body. There is still some way to go before it will be commercially available, but the early signs of the vaccine are looking quite good. In non-corona news, the United Arab Emirates has launched a historic first mission to Mars called Hope Probe, which is now on its way to Mars. The Philippines' president, in the first week of July, expedited a bill to become a law called the Anti-Terrorist Bill. Under the law, which is rather vaguely worded, The government is granted unchecked power in labelling people as terrorists. Spreading terror is also defined rather vaguely, and human rights groups are worried that it might be weaponized against anti-government protesters and human rights activists who are quite active in the Philippines. The organisation Oxfam has urged the G20 finance ministers to make the Debt Service Suspension Initiative legally binding the DSSI would cancel all debt payments and help low- and middle-income countries recover after the pandemic. The initiative was agreed on and bilateral debts have already been forgiven, but if it were to become legally binding, the DSSI would cancel out even private and multilateral payments. 41 countries have applied so far, and the initiative could potentially save them as much as $9 billion this year. This is huge considering a lot of low- and middle-income countries are paying more in private debt than they are investing in their own healthcare sectors. And that's the last of the news. So let's get back to Yemen. First, I wanted to take a quick look at the natural resources available to Yemen, including their biodiversity and geographic profile. Just to quickly reiterate, Yemen is in fact the poorest country in the Middle East and sits on the southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula. To its north, it is bordered by Saudi Arabia and to its east, it's bordered by Oman. The remainder of its edges that form its boundary form a coastline of nearly 2,000 kilometers, with the Red Sea to its west and the Gulf of Aden and Arabian Sea to its south. 
It's the 51st largest country in the world at over 500,000 square kilometers, making it larger than Spain and Germany and over twice the size of the United Kingdom. The climate in Yemen is mostly desert, and as it's located in a tropical zone, it's fairly hot and humid. The Red Sea coastline on the west is formed by a narrow, hot, arid plain and is interspersed with marshy lagoons which often stagnate and allow for breeding of mosquitoes and illnesses such as malaria and cholera. The plains are also replete with sand dunes, owing to the desert and the hot environment. This results in a high rate of evaporation of water in the Dead Sea and in surrounding lagoons. Immediately to the east of the coastal plain are the Western Highlands. These highlands have been of great historic importance as they served as home to several Shia tribes and Zaidi peoples, more of which you can hear about in the episode on Yemen's history. The highlands are heavily terraced and receive a lot of rainfall. To the east of the western highlands are the central highlands, formed by a single large plateau, and the state of Sana'a, which used to be the capital of Yemen, lies in this region. The central highland receives less rainfall than the western highlands, as it falls under the rain shadow of the western highlands and is thus significantly drier. The central highlands still does receive some amount of rainfall, which makes it suitable for farming crops that don't require too much water, such as barley and wheat. A final climate region in Yemen is the Rub al-Khali Desert, that extends into Oman in the east. The deserted region receives very little rainfall and is currently suffering from severe water shortages and droughts. Due to the mostly desert conditions bar the coastline, temperatures are generally warm but can drop at night. The temperatures of Yemen see much more variation between the day and night than they do across seasons such as across summer and winter. The central plateau and western highlands have enough cultivatable land such that the agriculture sector provides employment to nearly 60% of Yemen's population. Major crops grown are fruits, vegetables, and cereals, including sorghum, cotton, and mangoes. That said, crop growth is not sufficient to meet domestic needs and therefore a significant proportion of consumed food in Yemen is imported. A large number of plantations growing cut, a chewable stimulant, have also seen expansion at the expense of other sustenance-driven crops. Because of this, it's easy to see why a port blockade by Saudi Arabia has led to the country descending into a terrible famine, with most people suffering from a shortage of food. While Yemen does receive more rainfall than other Middle Eastern states, its groundwater supplies have been grossly mismanaged by the Yemeni government since well before the revolution picked up in 2011. This has resulted in poor water harvesting infrastructure, and if this was not bad enough, water supplies have been the target of various airstrikes and bombings, destroying an already limited capacity to distribute water across the country. Just to reiterate once again, when the country is rife with war and conflict, most people, bar those that are incredibly wealthy and located in urban centres like Aden, are suffering from a dire shortage of water. There have been sector reforms to try improve the water sanitation and supply in Yemen, especially after the passing of the water law in 2002, but progress has been stalled for about nine years since 2011. International donations had helped the initial water program, with major investors being the World Bank, the Arab Fund for Economic and Social Development, and Germany and Netherlands through technical cooperations with Yemen. But all their investments have decreased over the past few years. The other massive problem that an import blockade from Saudi Arabia has caused is a shortage of fuel imports. 
Fuel is a necessary commodity for Yemen's economy. And the port blockade has led to a decrease in the capacity of Yemen to pump water from its underground reserves. This has meant that most people rely on a manual collection of water contingent on either rainfall or access to stagnating and limited water reserves such as ponds and wells, which are by no means hygienic and have led to an increased spread in malaria and cholera. Resultantly, in 2016, Yemen experienced the largest cholera outbreak in recorded history. And as of 2019, there were over 2 million cases that had been reported, with around 4,000 deaths. In sheer number, this is around 10% of their population afflicted with cholera. And just to reiterate, nearly 80% of their 28 million population does not have access to clean food and water. As of 2018, the World Health Organization sponsored a program to distribute oral vaccines to people in Yemen and other humanitarian groups including Doctors Without Borders and the Red Cross have been treating people for the disease. This gets a whole lot worse with the ongoing pandemic. While there are a limited number of confirmed cases, the mortality rate of COVID-19 in Yemen is significantly higher than the rest of the world. In that, of the 1,200 cases recorded, there have been more deaths than recoveries, which is honestly just quite terrifying. The pandemic has resulted in a shutdown of international flights by the Houthi leadership in April of 2020 and a subsequent ceasefire with the Saudi-led coalition, with most provinces allowing minimal travel other than that of essentials. Back to the macroeconomic policies. Yemen's nominal GDP was just over $27 billion, while its per capita GDP was around $2,000 adjusted for purchasing power parity in 2018. This places it at an alarming 168th amongst all countries, and the situation only seems to be deteriorating. It has over 50% of its population living below the poverty line, with an inflation rate of a whopping 40%. Their primary industry, as with most others in the Arabian Peninsula, is crude oil production and petroleum refinement, which also forms their most exported product. Yemen is currently running a debt of well over $7 billion, and their exported goods had a net worth of under $500 million, which is paltry compared to their imported goods, valued at around $4 billion. In 2012, though, the same country was exporting goods worth $6.5 billion, with a large amount of liquefied natural gas and petroleum going to China and Thailand. Yemen now mainly exports to Egypt, Oman, Thailand and Belarus, and imports mainly from China, the United Arab Emirates, Turkey, Brazil, and quite worryingly, Saudi Arabia. This is probably a great example of just how badly a humanitarian conflict and crisis can debilitate the economy of a country, considering the same country that was producing $6.5 billion worth of exports in 2012 has now gone to producing under $500 million worth of exports. That's a drop of over 90%. There have been several reasons behind the impoverishment of Yemen stretching to well before the Houthi insurgency in 2004. Prime among these is the unification of South and North Yemen meant the merging of two disparate economic systems that required a lot of work to integrate. Further, economic development has been heavily concentrated in only a few cities, including Aden, Taiz, and Sana'a. The government since unification initiated an economic reform plan along with the IMF in 1995, successfully facilitating macroeconomic stabilization, 
but structural reforms were much harder to implement, especially due to Yemen's constrained administrative capacity. Since the conflict and the fissuring of Yemen, there have been, perhaps controversially, some IMF-imposed policies that favour the Hadi government. In 2014, one such policy allowed for free trade between Saudi Arabia and Yemen, which led to a rapid depletion of Yemen's resources for minimal gain of the country. A fair few scholars have been quite critical about the trade reform and the fair trade policies implemented in Yemen after 1991 and the fall of the USSR. These policies forced liberalisation on the economy that the administrative setup was simply not prepared for. There are two surprising facts that I learned that, that probably contribute to Yemen's economic poverty, despite the presence of oil within their jurisdiction. The first is that they are not a member of the Gulf Cooperation Council, a regional unity project with the wealthiest Arab states as its members. The Gulf countries, which include the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Oman, Bahrain and Kuwait, have all been reluctant to induct Yemen into the GCC. A membership to the GCC would allow for a greater access of employment and cooperative resources for the Yemeni population. In 2011, even Jordan and Morocco were invited to join the GCC. The second fact I came across is that Yemen is not a member of the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries or the OPEC. This organization includes Iran as well as Saudi Arabia, so it does have allies of Yemen, but membership requires a two-thirds majority approval of full members. An integration to the JCC or the OPEC would be a crucial step for Yemen in stabilizing its economy and improving bilateral ties with its neighbors, as well as decreasing a dependence on Tehran in the long run. The OPEC would also allow for Yemen's oil exports to be standardized at a Western rate and open Western markets up to trading with Yemen. A few points that are also worth noting is that Yemen does not have a public stock exchange and its financial services are dominated by their banking system. Since the humanitarian crisis, several debtors have defaulted and several banks are technically insolvent and have restricted their lending activity as a result. Foreign direct investment has come in the form of both grants and loans since 1991, but have been decreasing since the unrest, with the inflow dropping by 500 million US dollars in 2016 and dropping by around 200 million annually since. This is a dire shortage of investment in Yemen, which needs a lot more money to build up the infrastructure required for stabilizing its economy. I really wish I could give you some upward sloping trend in the country, but sadly, I really, really cannot. I have alluded to the demographic profile of Yemen before, as it to some degree underpins the ongoing humanitarian crisis. The religious distribution of the population is around 40% Shia Muslim and 60% Sunni, with Shias primarily coming from the Zaidi school of thought. There is a small diaspora living in the UK, the US and in surrounding states. Around 350,000 Jewish Yemenis have settled in Israel. The conflict has created several hundred thousand refugees who have fled the country and sought refuge in neighboring states. These states include Oman, Somalia, Djibouti, Sudan, Ethiopia, and some even fleeing to Saudi Arabia. This is not counting the millions who have been internally displaced within Yemen. Despite the crisis, Yemen's location means it receives over 100,000 refugees a year as well, majorly from Syria and Somalia. This creates a rather strange situation of refugees crossing borders into other countries that also have refugee crises at hand, 
because it's customary, or at least I hope it'll become customary as the polar. Just a quick word on the biodiversity of Yemen. Yemen's areas of natural habitat have decreased due to desertification or been degraded due to exploitation over the past several decades. Despite the decreases in natural habitat, Yemen has a large diversity of animal and plant species. They have a recorded 71 terrestrial mammal species, over 360 species of birds, and around 3,000 species of plants within their territory. The flora is mainly tropical African, and around 500 species of plant are endemic to Yemen, and around 400 cannot be found elsewhere. And that brings us to the end of a rather somber episode, understanding the terrifying numbers and understanding the impact of Yemen's humanitarian crisis on its economy. The road to recovery for Yemen is going to be incredibly difficult, not to mention incredibly expensive, and it remains to be seen when the country can start rebuilding. The thing that is almost certain is that for any form of economic rebuilding and stability, the humanitarian crisis needs to end first, and Yemen needs the instatement of a stable leadership. Once again, I'd urge you to read more about Yemen and donate to the several organizations including Doctors Without Borders and the Islamic Relief Fund that are providing help in the region. Thank you for joining me on Matterfile yet again. This has been about Yemen. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.